Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Niger has had its fifth coup in just over 50 years. A group of military officers has announced a coup on national television. They said they've dissolved the constitution in the West African country, suspended all institutions and closed the country's borders. To be expected, you might think. A country that's got a history of instability in a region which has seen seven coups since 2020. But what's happening in Niger right now could be felt around the world. The president is a key Western ally, and that's why we've heard from the US and France on this. Niger was a crucial democracy, the West's last friend in a very strategically important part of Africa. Niger is a key Western ally in a global fight against insurgencies. The coup now complicates international efforts to fight a jihadist movement. This part of Africa has been identified as a terror threat for a long time. Africa is the centre of global jihad now. And could be another foothold in the region for Russia. The mercenary Wagner Group has its claws in a couple of Niger's neighbours. What about here? Niger's new military junta has asked Russian mercenary group Wagner for help. Coup leader General Salifu Modi made contact during a visit to neighbouring Mali as international pressure increases. How has this happened? Does this help Islamist terrorists, Russian mercenaries? And how much is world security and Western influence at risk? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Luke Jones. Today, how Niger's fifth coup opens another door for Putin and should maybe worry the rest of us. I'm Richard Ashton. I cover West Africa for The Times and Sunday Times from Lagos. Richard's been reporting from Africa for a long old while. He's been struck down with malaria on a landfill site. He's investigated dumped COVID vaccinations. He's split a canoe in half in Nigerian floodwaters and now is monitoring a dramatic shift in power in Niger. On the morning of Wednesday, July 26th, an alert popped up on the newswires saying that soldiers had blockaded the presidential palace in Niger. And on your patch, is this unsurprising, par for the course, or what? 
Well, since I've been here, there have been several coups. You might think my reaction would have been, here we go again. But Mm. this felt different. Niger wasn't supposed to have a coup. And just explain for us who was booted out of what position and replaced by who. President Mohamed Bazoum, who was elected two years ago, civilian president, he was booted out by a guy called General Abdulrahman Chiani, the head of the presidential guard. We're saying as the head of the presidential guard, he's not the head of the army, just mm. a unit that had been created to protect, ironically, the president. And how did all of this actually get underway? So it started with these reports that soldiers had blockaded the, the presidential palace in Niamey, the capital of Niger. There are a lot of militaries in the streets. The borders are closed, but it seems that there is no more gunshots, as people could hear earlier. Then, as word of that trickled out, pro-democracy protesters began to gather in the streets in the centre of Niamey. This man says he's here to defend democracy. He added Bazoum was elected for five years and democracy should prevail. But there were hours of confusion before 10 soldiers announced on state TV that evening that they had deposed Bazoum and were holding him inside the palace. Army Colonel Amado Adraman announced on state television that all political party activities have been suspended. And when you talk about that announcement on state TV, normally we're used to just sober-looking blokes in, in khaki sternly reading out some kind of statement. This was, well, parts of it were quite odd. Indeed. For the next couple of days... State TV switched to a loop of a surreal green screen music video featuring soldiers dancing to a beat of desert blues. (laughs) How would you describe desert blues? Desert blues, it's got a good beat to it. I have to say, it's, it's, it's it's good for dancing. If you know the music of Mali and some Mm. Senegalese music, it's good stuff. I have to say, check it out. And there's one guy in particular, one guy looks like he's doing stretches. There's a row of three women in khaki, pretend marching on the spot. One guy's holding a guitar. He's not playing the guitar, but he's, he's sort of marching with the guitar in hand. As you say, these strange green screen backgrounds. Obviously, that's ludicrous. In the actual capital itself, there was some quite serious, violent reactions to what was happening. Yeah, that's right. We saw some protesters coming out with banners opposing the coup, but we also saw protesters sometimes violently coming out to support the coup. There was a particularly volatile day on Sunday, the 30th of July, when crowds waving Russian flags and chanting down with France stormed the French embassy in Niamey. Tried to ransack it, smashed windows, torched cars and and threw petrol bombs at the building. We have uranium, we have diamonds, we have gold, we have oil and we live like slaves. Why should we? Until when? We can't accept it. The French base in Niger must leave. We don't need the French to keep us safe. (laughs) 
let's actually rewind then for the uninitiated. Explain Niger itself, where it is. So it's in West Africa. It's a huge landlocked country which straddles both the Sahara, about 80% of it is, is Sahara Desert, and what's known as the Sahel, which is a, a vast semi-arid band that, that spans Africa from west to east, a bit like a, a headband on, on the forehead of the continent. And it's a former French colony. It is. It's in some ways a, a classic hodgepodge of different ethnic groups lumped together by colonialism. So you have nomadic people who particularly live in the Sahara in the north, Arab Berber Tuaregs. You have sedentary sub-Saharan people. The Hausa ethnic group make up the majority of the population, just over 50%. It is one of the poorest countries in the world. And it's also the country with the highest birth rate in the world, just under seven children per woman. It's not an easy place to live. The French never considered it more than a kind of peripheral backwater for about two decades during the colonial times not one paved road was built it's been trying to modernize its economy trying to diversify it there's some gold they've found some oil but more than four and five nigerians still rely on agriculture to get by either growing crops in the south where it rains a bit or grazing cattle in in the centre. And that's made it particularly vulnerable, first to coups, but also climate change. Scientists say yeah. temperatures could increase in the country by as much as six degrees by the end of the century. And since they got independence from France in 1960, how has governing gone since then? Well, it's flip-flopped, Niger, between civilian and military rule. This coup is its fifth. It's a place where different ethnic groups have vied for influence, but when Bazoum was elected in 2021, Niger was already in its longest period of civilian rule, and obviously he was in power for another two years. And speaking of coups, let's return to this latest one, and let's talk about the, the two people at the centre of it a bit more. The country's first democratically elected president and this general, not in charge of the army, as you said, in charge of the presidential guard. Let's start with the president. What do we know about him? Bazoum was the interior minister under the previous civilian president, Mohamedou Issoufou. A philosophy teacher turned trade unionist, Bazoum entered politics in 1990, co-founding Niger's Party for Democracy and Socialism. And he's a guy who was known for a long time for quietly getting sensitive tasks done in his boss's shadow. He's since positioned himself as the man, the kind of key ally for the West and the region in stemming growing jihadism in the Sahel. In other words, he's the kind of guy you might bet your house on. Or if you're really bold, your entire regional counterterrorism strategy. And we know a bit about him as a man? We do know a bit. The first thing that's worth saying is he's from the Arab minority. He's had to deal with slurs from the opposition, people calling him foreign. He's a mild-mannered figure. He gives interviews in a very measured, careful French. He's definitely not a populist. And what appeal he's won, he's won by projecting this mm. sort of technocratic competence. I symbolise a hope, simply a hope for the end of the ethnic issues and the relationship to power. 
Yes, I think we have helped our country and ourselves a lot. We certainly could also serve as a model for other African nations. I might not be a populist, but is he popular? It's very hard to say. Political polls in a country like Niger, when they do happen, uh, are fraught with issues. He won the election in 2021 in a runoff. He won 55% of votes. The West accepted the result, I think partly because it was eager to see what was Niger's first democratic transition. But as often happens with elections in Africa, some Nigerians felt that the ruling party of which he was the candidate had abused its position to manipulate the election. I think this takes us on to a point that the world would do well to better understand, which is that for many young Africans, not just in Niger, but other countries in the region that have seen coups, the idea of having a military strongman as leader almost feels more democratic than having a career politician who has won power via a corrupt election. Why is that the case? No democracy is perfect, but elections are often rife with allegations of abuse. And lots of these civilian governments haven't been able to tackle some of the huge issues that their countries face. And on top of that, civilian leaders, particularly if they've allied with the West, former colonial powers like France, have been perceived as Western stooges. So you bring in a military guy who is through and through of his country, someone like the man who's taken power in Niger. And yes, they may not have won an election, but in some sense, they seem to be representing the will of the Nigerian. Do we know what motivated him to actually start this coup? Because also it seems quite a bold move going from the head of the president's bodyguards, essentially, which I can't imagine is a massive troop of people, to then saying you should be in charge. Yeah, very, very bold move. Definitely some, some level of chutzpah in his character. Formerly, he said he blamed what he called the deteriorating security situation in Niger. He also pointed to corruption in Bazoum's government. The current security approach has failed to secure our country, despite the heavy sacrifices made by Nigerians and the appreciated support of our external partners. No, the results have not lived up to our expectations and we can no longer continue with the same approaches at the risk of witnessing the disappearance of our country. But that explanation doesn't really hold water, particularly because Niger had actually been doing better than some of its neighbours, some of its military-run neighbours, at dealing with the jihadists. Attacks were down. And the rumours are that he was about to be retired by Bazoum. He didn't want to go. And there's also a suggestion that he was feeling snubbed because the presidential guard doesn't receive the kind of you know, massive mm. military aid that the other parts of the army get, particularly from America. In terms of the significance of this around the world, just explain first of all, before, before we get into Niger itself, just how important this region is, the Sahel, that what you described as being an almost a, a headband on the top of the continent of, of Africa. So it lies, the Sahel, between North Africa, states like Libya that are extremely volatile, full of weapons, and sub-Saharan Africa. The word that's often used about Niger is strategic, 
because of where it lies, is right in the middle. So it has Mali and Burkina Faso next to it on the west, Chad on the east, and then you're heading towards the Red Sea in the east. And how many countries in this region have democratically elected governments like Niger did up until this coup? Fewer and fewer. So if this coup is confirmed, it will complete a belt of junta-led states all the way from the Atlantic in the west to the Red Sea in the east. The only countries now that have lots of Sahel in their territory and, and which are still governed by civilian governments are Senegal and Mauritania, Guinea, Mali, Burkina Faso, Niger, Chad, Sudan and Eritrea. All of them are run by military men. Coming up, if Niger is so strategically important, does this make the terrorism threat more likely for the West? And how might it open another door and another revenue stream for Putin in Africa? This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm David Baddiel. I'm a writer and a comedian and a Jew. I'm Saeed Avasi. I'm a businesswoman and a politician and a Muslim. Jews and Muslims always seem to be in the news or on the news. Lots of people talk about us and this is us talking about ourselves. The kind of things that people say don't touch, yeah. we are going to go there. I mean, I think Jews and Muslims are talking about these things, but I think they're not talking about them together because they're worried that if they do, sparks might fly. A Muslim and a Jew go there. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. So if this region is important uh, strategically, let's talk about who might win and lose from the current situation and the current unrest there. In terms of winners, people keep talking quite a lot about the Wagner Group. And we'll remember Evgeny Prigozhin, the leader of that and the trouble he recently got into and managed to get out of in Russia. The Wagner Group obviously has lots of influence in this region in other countries. This must be good for them in terms of what, getting another foothold somewhere. Absolutely. Prigozhin was not slow to uh, make his sales pitch in the days after the coup. He was recorded 
in a message that was shared on Telegram, could barely contain his glee, described this as a battle between the people of Niger and their colonizers. And said only Wagner fighters are capable of bringing order. He is clearly licking his lips at the prospect of installing the Wagner Group in yet another African country. Remains to be seen whether that happens, of course, and there's no evidence at the moment that Russia instigated the coup. But clearly, this is an opportunity for Wagner Hmm. to tap another country's resources and expand its influence. Ah, so is that what's in it for them, the resources that are there? Yeah, I mean... (laughs) What Wagner always says when it goes into these places is that it's there to quell terrorism, to, to stabilise countries. That's a complete lie. It's, it's about a revenue stream. We've seen that in the Central African Republic, the country where Wagner has its most explicit presence. We've seen that in Sudan. Both those countries, it taps gold mines and it will be looking at Niger's resources to do a similar thing. What kind of resources are we talking about? So Niger has some of the world's largest reserves of uranium. France buys a lot of it to power its nuclear energy. It also has some gold and some oil, not huge reserves, but you know enough to be useful to a group like Wagner. And what, what about strategically for Wagner, just in terms of its placement and sort of connecting up other countries that they have footholds in? Is that a useful factor for them as well? It's already in Mali. We think it's in Burkina Faso as well. And if Wagner grabs influence in Niger, it would open up the Sahara from Libya in the north to Nigeria, two weak states which are full of arms. What about the losers from this? Thinking specifically, well, about the West and also France as well. Why could this be bad for them? The West has bet really big on Niger as its key and last ally in the Sahel against jihadism, which has spread through the region in the last decade. Several Western countries have troops in Niger, training the Nigerian military and carrying out their own counterinsurgency. The two key ones are the US and France. The US, which has actually had a presence in in the Sahel since the 90s, has spent more than $500 million building up Niger's armed forces in the last decade. It's got an armed drone base, which is extraordinarily expensive, costing $100 million to build, and it's got 1,100 troops in the country. France, meanwhile, has been waging a counterinsurgency in the Sahel for a decade. So what can some of these Western countries do then? We've all been seeing on the news recently various evacuations of of embassy staff and foreign nationals. Is there any other pressure that the West or even other African nations could could put on the situation? What they're trying at the moment is sanctions. The West has uh, stopped giving budgetary aid to Niger, which which is a huge thing for the country. It makes up most of Niger's annual spending. Niger is an extremely poor country and it can't survive more than 15 days or one month without the uh, external help. So it's, it's really, really a big issue. The region has also put harsh 
sanctions on Niger. There are already reports that Nigeria, from which 90% of Niger's power comes, has started cutting off supplies, causing blackouts in the army, the capital. ECOWAS, the West African regional organization, has threatened military intervention against Niger. But if none of that works, everyone will have a major headache to deal Mm. with. Richard, let's talk about where this leaves us. If this general holds on to power, does it mean that all the military investment that you spoke about, all that time spent cozying up to Niger by the West, using it as a base to fight terrorism in the region and the rest, could all of that be wasted? Potentially, yes. And that's why this coup in some ways was so surprising, because clearly the West has made a, a miscalculation. It's believed that Bazoum would stay in power. It believed that Niger would remain a friendly asset in the region. We've already seen that the US has suspended its military cooperation with Niger since the coup. It's had to stop flying its drones because Nigerian airspace has been closed. It feels like the chickens may be coming home to roost. This part of Africa has been identified as a terror threat for a long time. Africa is the centre of global jihad now. It's no longer the Middle East. You know, one in 10 sub-Saharan Africans now live in an area that's run by jihadists. And in the 12 months to June, more than 22,000 Africans died in jihadist-related violence. That is 50% more than in the year before, and it's double the number who were killed in Iraq in 2014, when Islamic State was obviously at its peak. At the moment, the jihadist groups in the region have neither the wherewithal nor the inclination to launch attacks beyond the region, but that could easily change. The most senior US commander in Africa earlier this year actually warned that the threat was becoming an international one. Threats once contained on the continent are transforming into worldwide threats. The expansion of the Middle East-based violent extremist groups such as ISIS and Al-Qaeda, including the biggest franchise, Al-Shabaab, threatens American lives. Russia's Wagner mercenaries turn chaos into cash. It destabilizes entire regions across Africa. If you look at the case of Afghanistan, for example, in the 80s and 90s, or the Middle East and the rise of Iraq, it takes time for these groups to develop. Um, It is good for no one if a giant wound like this festers in the middle of Africa. And the longer it does, the more dangerous the situation becomes. And while people worry about that problem festering, there's also the issue, I guess, if if Niger isn't as uh, much as an ally to the West as it has been in the past. That's an important route for migrants heading north to Europe. Absolutely. It's an important route for migrants heading north. It already houses half a million uprooted people. This could quite easily set off yet another wave of migrants heading towards Europe. And do you see all of this fitting into a wider trend of a retreat from democracy? in this part of the world, a reverse of of what had sort of been happening for for the last few years? Yes. Five to ten years ago, 
democracy was actually advancing in Africa, that trend has been massively, emphatically reversed now with these coups. Niger's is the seventh in the last three years. But I think it is worth saying that it's not all doom and gloom. Polls consistently show that Africans prefer democracy. They want democracy. With social media, young Africans, who make up the majority of the population, have never been more engaged with politics. It's just that so far the democracy they've been given hasn't been working. Yeah. I guess also it's quite bleak for ordinary Nigerians and especially people living in the capital as well, especially when you talk about the aid that's being cut off and the extent to which they rely on that. How is life for people there at the moment? It's tough. Aid cut off, power cut off, finance cut off. As we say, this is already a very poor country. It will get poorer. If we look at the examples of Niger's neighbours, military governments have done worse at dealing with jihadism than, than civilian governments. There could be more bloodshed. This coup feels like the end of something in some ways, but it also feels like it could be the start of something much bigger and potentially much darker. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Luke Jones, and my guest, Richard Ashton, who covers West Africa for The Times and Sunday Times. You can find all of Richard's work at thetimes.co.uk or by picking up a paper copy. The producer today was Olivia Case, the executive producer today was James Shield, and sound design was by David Crackles. If you have a story that you think we should be covering, maybe you have an idea for an episode maybe some feedback on what you've just heard let us know you can email us anytime stories of our times at the times.co.uk is how to reach us goodbye <laughs>